Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study class led by Pastor Jim Adi. This week, John Schweitzer is our guest speaker as we continue our study on the Gospel of John. Enjoy. I, got a, I did have a note from uh, Pastor Adi. He said, uh, blessings on a good class. Yeah, I'm sure everybody will be kind. Uh, and uh, he would be, he said he'd be at a ball game at live field when we're, but I don't know if, uh, if, if you, I guess he could be going to an early morning game. And uh, remember, we're going to save all the tough questions for Pastor Adi for next week, right? Okay, let's go ahead and, uh, and get started. Now, last week, just a quick review. We learned about uh, God as being our, our loving father, right? It was the Who's Your Daddy, it was the title. Uh, but also being a, uh, a very just God. And we're going to touch a little bit more about that being a just God in, in today's lesson. So let's, uh, starting with uh, John 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So, as it says here, the questioning of who sinned, it's the rabbis taught that people who were born disabled or birth defects, etc., was part of God's punishment for the sins of parents. But the prophets taught that each person is responsible for his or her own sin, and the consequences of it. And uh, so the disciples were a little bit confused as to you know, exactly what, what was exactly going on and what was the full story. Why do you think they might think that sin was the cause of this? Any guesses? Well, if you go back to Job, his three friends told him he meant to be a terrible sinner because he was being so punished. Three friends that you really... There he goes clear back to them. Absolutely. Job's, Job's friends were not exactly a big help at that time, right? Yeah. The scripture also says that the sins of the father will be punished on five generations. I knew I could count on you, Carl, to lead in. Yes, and in fact, let me, uh, in Deuteronomy, if I say that correctly, if you remember, Israel's about to move into the promised land, right? And Moses decides, he, he gives them a, uh, a history lesson, if you would, and reminds them of things. So he said, hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws that I declare to your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time I stood between the Lord and you to declare you, to you the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and did not come up on the mountain. And then he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them and worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
So if you think about it, right, the Israelites were told to restate this all the time with their children, to always remember the words of the Lord. And, you know, you can kind of get a feeling here for why they might be believing about uh, how sin could cause some of these, these problems, and in this particular case for this, this blind man. But Jesus uh, kind of get, does a twist here. He gives a different reason for why this, uh, this might happen. He said, uh, it was not that this man sinned or his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So he offers this new perspective that says, God has chosen that person, has set aside that person, and in that particular situation, so that he could demonstrate his glory. So in other words, God would demonstrate his greatness in and through that person's difficulty. So what happens when, we, when bad things happen to us? What's our first reaction? Yeah, normally, well, why me, right? What did I do? What did I do to deserve this? So we're tempted, as Pastor Ari is saying here, to, to view that through our human lens, if you would, of there must be a reward and punishment. Richard and I have had a lot of conversation about how people always think everything has to have a cause and effect. And some people do some strange correlations of what the cause might be to the effect that they've observed. So our, our human reaction oftentimes is that you know, there, there must be something to it. And uh, then we kind of dwell on the, the idea that uh, these impositions, these difficulties, etc., uh, we try to look at the effect that they're having on that person and not, not the bigger picture. So Jesus offers uh, to us an idea that God has a more divine purpose in, in these issues. And by allowing these difficulties in people's lives, he might work a greater purpose through them. And sometimes we're given a glimpse of that purpose. You know, we, we, not always in the middle of it, but sometimes after the crisis has passed, we can go back and get a glimpse of how God uh, worked in that situation. But, as with a lot of things with God, a lot of it is beyond our sight. And that's why faith becomes uh, the, the key. So, how might believers respond in faith when bad things happen? Well, if we look at uh, Paul's letter in Corinthians, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of the Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Sounds a little down, doesn't it? But, I mean, Paul didn't exactly have an easy life, right? Uh, he had, had the thorn. He was left for dead a couple of times. Uh, he was imprisoned often. But he always saw the working of God in all of, of what uh, followed him around. So sometimes bad things bring us uh, a focus into God's strength and the power of his, his grace. I happen to have a, a friend right now who is a member of our men's Bible study on Tuesday mornings. It's a small group in our subdivision of us retired guys. And uh, he had fallen off a ladder 10 years ago. 
busted up his back pretty badly and had metal rods put in. And then a couple years after that, he'd gotten in a car accident and the, the rods and some of the bones that they were attached to got damaged. So he's had a difficult time. He's, he's actually had to have a metal brace put across his hips to anchor the rods in. And, uh, but yet he has one of the most amazing attitudes about God's blessings in his life. And um, he's, he's really been an inspiration to us uh, at, in the Bible study. And now recently he went to have knee surgery. He had arthritis bad. He was recovering from the knee surgery and something happened and one of the rods broke loose and actually broke through his skin. And uh, this has been about three weeks ago now and he's been waiting because now they found out that they don't have the large enough, they can't find large enough screws to schedule his operation to get things fixed again. So now it looks like it's going to be April before he can get surgery. And he's pretty much, he can get up for maybe a half hour a day, pretty much bedridden otherwise. So, and, and when we go to visit him though, he's, he's, it's amazing. I, I, I don't know that I could do it because I, I can't even imagine the pain he's, he's in. But it, it's when you see people who can get through those difficult times like that on their faith, it really is uplifting. Yeah. We've touched on this before, but I think one of the greatest Christian witnesses we can do is how we react and respond when things happen to us. You know, and I think that idea of, of how we react, when, especially when, bad, when things go against us, is probably one of the most powerful because we can, we can say the words all we want, as we've talked about before in this class. You know, it's how you live your life that people actually see. And because they, sometimes they, they don't listen to us, right? You, you can say things, and they aren't necessarily listening, but they're watching. And it's, it's certainly true. I know living with a, a now eight-year-old, she had a birthday yesterday, uh, my granddaughter, you know, she's watching everything going on, right? And so if you, you can't get away with things. Uh, so it's, uh, but, and I, and I think, that's right, a lot of new believers or people yet to believe are a lot like children from that standpoint. They observe, you know, Christians and say, you know, how we behave and how we lead our lives. And they'll look at that much more than they'll listen to us. After all, we're, I'm just an old white guy, you know. At the, so, I, yeah, that's a good point. A big piece of our witnessing is about how we react. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that when we get to this, this chart. Okay, if we look at Hebrews... It says, uh, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our con confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we, we may receive mercy and find grace in the help of need. So remember, one of the important features of Jesus being he was God and true man both and taking on his manhood uh, he suffered through he had the exact same temptations we do as, as human beings certainly he suffered on, on the cross and yet through it all through his whole life he, he did not sin so he is now at the right hand of God he's there as an intercessor for us and yet he's experienced everything we have so if you think you're alone and you're suffering or this is only happening to you. It's not. We have, uh, as Paul says, a great high priest who has suffered through the same as we have. 
And then sometimes we don't realize really how much and we need God until we're helpless. You know, when, when, when things look the bleakest is uh, oftentimes when we look up. And that could be um, loss of a job, which I've experienced a few times. And it's really not as bad as I thought it was going to be. But it, the loss of a job, uh, certainly a loss of a loved one, uh, the loss of your health uh, just, or your family having difficulties. It, it's difficult, but sometimes when we get down to that is when we realize his mercy the most. So Paul said in Romans, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. So Paul, suffering through everything, always took, he had the vision of the future. So when bad things happen to us, our trust in God, who sent Jesus to be our Savior, and his ultimate act of love toward us of giving up his life, if something bad happens to you, with God's help, you might say a prayer, Lord, work through this situation to show others your glory. The emphasis is on what God will do through it and not on how we will show his glory. Let, let God have the glory. Let's go through a look at the, at the process of healing that, that Jesus did here. So Jesus responded to his disciples who had asked about who sinned to cause this man to be blind. He said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Why do you think Jesus did this kind of a public display? I mean, couldn't he have just touched and said, Have sight? Couldn't he? So why the public display? <laughs> Phil. He wanted to uh, show that the man had faith to go do as he was, he was told, as Jesus told him to do, to watch his, uh, his eyes. Well. Maybe he did it because by putting the, the mud on his eyes, it's concrete, they can see it, and some people need something that they can touch. Something tactile. tactile? Yeah, they need to see it tactilely before they'll accept it. Remember the story about raising Lazarus? Right? Jesus, he didn't even leave right away when Martha, when they called. And so he comes and he says, well, our brother has died. And he says, no, he's just sleeping. And what did he, he stood outside and he said, uh, you know, the father, you know, and he, he, he said, I, I say this not for my benefit, or that I, basically that I need it, but I want everyone to see your glory in raising Lazarus. And then he called Lazarus out. And I, I wasn't there, so this is subjective. <laughs> but Pastor Adi kind of agrees with me that kind of what you were saying, Richard, and, and you too, Phil, this was a public act so that people would observe. Because if he just said, oh, you know, you can see, it, it might not have had quite the same effect. And what Jesus has been saying here is that it's through our weakness that God's grace is demonstrated. So he wanted to make sure that the people were aware that this was God's grace, there was something special. So he took some extra steps to go through it, but he still healed the man. Right? So he, he still gave him back his sight. Also, this is just another example of Jesus breaking the rules. <laughs> okay, to make the point that that the uselessness, because I was just reading in the commentary that 
the rabbis listed kneading dough among uh, 39 forms of things you can't do on the Sabbath. And Jesus, he had lots and lots of examples of doing good on the Sabbath and breaking the, breaking the rules. Interesting when you mentioned about kneading dough is it was considered yeah. work on the Sabbath, right? Yeah. So you you weren't supposed to. So maybe the mixing of mud was very much like that. Yeah. Yes, and in fact, let's see, do I have the Pharisaic laws? Yes, they developed a system of 613 laws. 365 were negative, and 248 were positive. So things you can't do, things you can do, and the majority of them were around the Sabbath. And we're going to talk a little bit more about why so much focus on the Sabbath. Well, I just learned something new here. It says that saliva was thought to have curative powers because that's how animals clean themselves. <laughs> I didn't know that. Dogs, are, right, if they get a wound, right? They keep, oh, it keeps it clean, actually, for them. That's where the saliva and the mud yep. comes from. Or the fact that you have the dirt showing that man came from dirt and he's retraining the eyes. Hmm. So there's a lot of both symbology, right, as, as behind the miracle of what, what Jesus was doing with this man. And, and you're right, the, the, the 613 laws really became a, a couple things. It, it, it created a very judgmental attitude in the people. And that was the other thing. Remember, that these 613 weren't just drawn in a day. Every time there was an exception, and so somebody came up with something, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't fit this law, they had to write another one. And you know, Jesus was forever trying to convince them that he was Lord of the Sabbath. So he's there, and he replaced the law. So they have to understand that he's among them, and so the law comes second to him, because he's Lord of the Sabbath, but he couldn't get that across. But the Pharisees had a hard time accepting that Jesus was Lord of the Sabbath. And in fact, they were very protective of the Sabbath because, I mean, that, well, we'll talk a bit more about that in just in a minute, but um, they just, that, that was an area that they, they absolutely focused on, and uh, two, two extremes. And, and certainly they would feel threatened by Jesus saying that uh, he was there. And keep in mind, the Pharisees believed that the, uh, the, the, the final, the, Messiah, the, the messianic kingdom would not arrive until the law was fulfilled completely. And actually they were right, because Jesus fulfilled the law completely. What they missed was, they thought, they were thinking in strictly a legalistic standpoint, that in other words, their responsibility was to make sure the people knew every law and followed it, because until that was followed exactly, we weren't going to see the, the final kingdom. So you've got this, you're right, Jesus was, um, well, to a certain extent, poking a stick. You know, he, he wanted to make it obvious there's a clear difference between his message and the message of the law. Yeah, Richard. The other thing is a lot of their laws were very concrete. Oh, yeah. So, so he does something concrete in... in, in uh, contrast to, you know, all their, you know, the fact that you couldn't, they couldn't live with, you shouldn't work on the Sabbath, they had to go specify exactly what work involved, and they got more and more uh, granular every time. 
Oh, oh, that's work. Oh, oh that's not work. I'm glad we don't do that today where we try to legislate everything, right? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Ever wonder why uh, uh, what seems like it should be a fairly straightforward common sense law takes like 1,200 pages of writing uh, to, because I got to specify, oh, this, and then there's this, and there's this, and then, oh, but what if, uh, that, I, well, and that's kind of what the Pharisees were getting into, why they ended up with 613. Hey, we, we have those. <laughs> In some ways, times haven't changed, uh, but, but that, that's kind of how they got into this, this whole trap. So Jesus was saying that, that while, while it is day, okay, night is coming, it's going to be when he, while he's here, while he was with them, he was, he was the light of the world. Now he's still the light of the world. He's just not on the earth anymore. Okay, so uh, and then he, he used the, the saliva to, to mix up a, a mud and a salve, which he applied. And I looked up the pool of, uh, let's see if I say it correctly, Siloam. And really, it was a rock-cut pool fed by an uh, underground spring just outside uh, the old walls of uh, Jerusalem. So he, and other people had gone there for healing. And uh, so now the, the miracle was, not only did the people see him put the mud on, but then the man goes over to the pool, he washes, and he comes back seen. So this whole thing is, is, is laid out in uh, pretty much public uh, view throughout. And so now this, this really became an, an obvious manifestation of God's grace. So now let's see what happens after this man is healed. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, oh, it is he. Others said, no, but it's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? And the man said, I do not know. So as, as pastor says here, the post-miracle chaos begins, right? <laughs> I said, well, wait a minute, wait, you used to be a beggar here, you were blind, you know, we, we, we know you were here. And other people would say, no, 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 if he's seen now, that can't be the same guy, that, that's his, bro his twin brother, and the guy who's still, the beggar was his evil twin or something, right? So people had a hard time uh, believing, uh, and it, it created a lot of story. It stirred up a lot of, of feelings and emotions, which, as was mentioned, Jesus had a tendency to do. He challenged the Pharisees on many, many things because he knew he was the fulfillment of the law. So they brought to the Pharisees, so the crowd brings to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day, as we said, when Jesus made the mud and opened the eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. The... Uh, Keep in mind that in these days, uh, anything to do with a miracle, a religious miracle, uh, the, the, the priests and Pharisees had to basically confirm that it was a miracle. Okay? So that, that would be a natural reason why they would bring this man to the priests and, and other temple authorities to authenticate the fact that he had been blind and now could see. And once again, Jesus did it on the wrong day. And... Uh, he did it, uh, so the, the Pharisees, of course, very upset, 
that he, even though he did a good deed, he did it on the wrong day. So some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Remember, they were very focused on the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Obviously, you can expect that some people wanted to believe, and did believe, that Jesus is the Lord. They saw the miracle, they believed. But others, you know, who said, no, 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 that can't be. How can, you know, he's, he's just, this man was a sinner, he, he did work on the Sabbath, this, this can't be. So the division starts not just between Pharisees and priests and the people, but now even among the people. So again, they said to the blind man, what do you say about him, since he opened your eyes? And the man said, he is a prophet. Now, some, in the, some versions in the Bible will say, the man said, you know, I don't know if he was a sinner or not. He must be a prophet because he healed me. So, you know, man, the man who was getting cured didn't really worry too much, right? Um, he got his sight back, and uh, he said, this, this must be a prophet. So the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was held in extremely high esteem for the Pharisees because they drew their belief from all the rabbinic, rabbinic teachings. And that, uh, so their conclusion was that Jesus' divinity uh, was not on the basis of the miracle, but on the basis of his doing work on the Sabbath. So they, they said, they kind of ignored the miracle. and said, but this is wrong because he did it on the Sabbath. Let's take a look, uh, Pastor said, let's take a little bit of a look at why this whole, why was the Sabbath such a focus of these 613 laws? Some of the origins, on the seventh day of the week, Shabbat, uh, translated as a day of quieting of the heart. So it was supposed to be a day of relaxation, contemplation, and worship. In Canaanite and Babylonian cultures, they revered the seventh, revered the seventh day in fear of angering their gods. So they had idols and gods, and theirs was not so much the relaxing of the heart, but they were fearful of, God's of their gods' reactions if they didn't uh, hold the, the seventh special. Strict adherence to Sabbath laws gradually evolved through Israel's history and linked to the fears of, bless you, losing uh, Jewish identity and chosenness through the years of, uh, while they were in exile. And in the 400 years when there were no prophets, that before Jesus uh, started his ministry, various sects grew up and had different emphasis on what keeping the Sabbath had been. Some were very rigid, some were much looser. And the Pharisees were ones who, who said rigid uh, application. And Sabbath restrictions on labor were intended to mandate a day for communal worship, celebration, and the rest of the work week. And Jesus' mercy work on the Sabbath reflected God's original intent for the Sabbath, that it was a gift of God's love for people. For, as Jesus said, and uh, in, in quoted by Mark, uh, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. Yes. I think it's important to note that the blind man had faith because he, he, he had to be sent to the pool of water and then he returned. That's a very good point. So in other words... It, so he had to have, have faith that this was going to work. I mean, Jesus could have just said, zap and you're healed. No. But there was a pr process here 
and the man, the blind man, had to show his faith. I, no, that's interesting. Yeah, I, interesting point because I don't know if you heard what she's saying. That the blind man demonstrated his faith by following through with the actions. Right. So you can imagine. Okay, I've been blind from birth, and this guy spits and puts mud on my eyes. Come on, right? But in, in and, and again, it's not because we do anything. Just like in uh, in terms of accepting God, we don't do anything to to earn our grace or to earn His grace. And the blind man didn't really do anything then to earn his miracle. But what he did out of a reaction of faith is he took action. So his reaction to Jesus' effort and say, go wash, um, was, was actually the reaction to that grace that was on him. I want to talk a little bit more about the Sabbath. And uh, going back to what was going on in Deuteronomy, Actually, I have to go to the Bible on this one because I didn't print this one out early. I, I mentioned before, these are the commands that the Lord has given you, the decrees, lift them up. Hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, for the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and all your strength. These commandments I give you today will be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk to them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied... Be careful that you do not forget that the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery is your God. And later on, as Moses is going to this, he, re he reviews the Ten Commandments. And one, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. And remember one other thing. So the Lord is saying, okay, they've, they've wandered for 40 years. Yeah, Carl? When we were in Israel last year, um, we really saw the impact of the laws on the Jewish people. The hotels that we stayed in had Sabbath elevators where they stopped on every floor so they wouldn't touch the button. I mean, that's how strict they were. Um, one, of our, one of our people was on an elevator and a woman came out. I've told the story before. A woman came got out of the, her elevator with her and was almost in tears and saying, Would someone, is someone here not a Jew? And she said, yeah, I'm not a Jew. She said, can you help me? I can't open my door to the room and I can't turn on the light. But they could go downstairs, eat with a fork and knife and do it, all kinds of things. But they just pushed these laws beyond reasonableness. So... We, gotta, we have to thank our Lord Jesus Christ for saying, I'm the last sacrifice. 
And he did. And remember when he was in the temple, even as a young man, he said, today the scripture is fulfilled in me. Which also alienated the... But remember, so, so now they've been wandering for 40 years. They're about ready to enter the promised land. Moses already knows he's not going to, he's been told he's not going to be able to cross with them. But he wants to give them this history lesson, and he reviews the, uh, the, the Ten Commandments. And he talks about the Sabbath, and he talks about the fact that they're going, you know, into this other land. So why was the Sabbath so important to the Jewish culture? Well, and I'll give Pastor Adi a lot of credit on this one. Actually, I still have his sketch of, of, of this. And he said, go ahead and use it. If you, if you look at, I've got, for those of you on the podcast, we've got kind of an upside-down T shape with numbers 1 through 3 on the, on the vertical and 4 through 10 going across. Okay? Oh, you're going to take a picture of it. Good. If you look at the Ten Commandments, what do the first three commandments deal with? Our relationship with God, right? No other gods before me. Honor his name. Keep the Sabbath. Then we go into the obey your parents, treat your neighbors as yourself, love them, do not covet, do not steal, do not murder, etc. Right? The most unique and identifying feature of the Jewish people as they moved into these new lands that identified them as being chosen by God and being the chosen people was this connection right here of God and how they lived their lives. So kind of what you were talking about. Because in today's world, do you know people who can be good to their parents, not cheat, not lie, not covet, and have absolutely no relationship with God? Can an atheist do good public things? So what, what was critical to the Jewish people was that what they did and what God told them to do was a direct relationship because of the grace they'd received. And, and it was to reflect the honor of God. So their being the chosen people was critically tied. So I have a question for you. What's the most identifying characteristic for a Christian today? How do people know we're Christian? I mean, you could say we do all these, these other good things. We're, we're, we honor our parents. We hold them in respect. You know, we don't lie. We don't cheat. Okay, there's other people out there that do that. What, what uniquely identifies us like this relationship and recognition of the Sabbath did for the Jews? So, I, you know, and that's, so Pastor and I got into some discussion. I don't know that there's a an complete answer to this yet. But, you know, in, in our Christianity, we've lost, I think, my personal opinion, okay, some of the focus of this relationship around the Sabbath. Remember, you know, I know the, most of us in this can remember some of the old, I mean, you could, there's a lot of things you couldn't do. Stores weren't open on Sundays, right? And, uh, and the reverence of walking into a church on Sunday was, was kind of different. Right? You knew, you know, it, it was different. And we've, we've certainly gotten more casual, and I'm not saying that's wrong. But have we lost some of this leveraging of the fact that the way we live our daily lives is supposed to be a direct reflection of the grace that we have from God? Yeah. Well, I think the song is, and they will know we are Christians by our love. 
Isn't that the song? That, yep. And what did and when Jesus was questioned about who, what is the, the most important commandment, right? And uh, and he said, what did he say? He said, first commandment: love your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and serve Him. Second was to love your neighbor as yourself. So the second command, it wasn't that he only gave, you know, some people say, oh, okay, Jesus said now there's only two commands. No, that isn't really what he said. What he said was, the first one is these three commands. The second is four through ten and how you live your life. And, and that, the whole theory, you're right, the whole premise and the strength behind that is out of our love. And so we as Christians, in reflecting God's grace, can't be going out and hating people. We can't be spewing out garbage on, on uh, Facebook. Uh, because when you do, people go, well, I don't see any connection to God's grace in that person. Now, we all fail. Uh, okay, we, at, at some point in time, we, yeah, we take an action and we say, oh, gee, why did I do that? Um, and Sometimes it's your core of, of close friends that will point that out to you. So, you know, you, you really kind of went off the rails here. But it's, that's why it's important for us to keep this relationship. Because it then drives what we do. And what we do is, as you mentioned, probably the most visible thing to anybody else. So if you're witnessing, and you are by the way you live your life, you've got to stay connected. Now, how we exactly do that? Um, certainly, like, like here, we, you know, we've got worship services that are, you know, we, we try to accommodate for everybody. I know we're going to be working toward a, uh, a more contemporary service to reach out a little further. But one thing I like about, and I don't think it's just Missouri Synod Lutherans, but certainly our church and Lutheran churches, is that no matter how we shape the worship service, we always start with confession, God's word and the gospel. Okay, so that's common whether regardless of the music or anything else changes. We hold through to the fact that we recognize why we're here and keep, keep this bond together of God to, to our daily lives. Yes, Richard. I think the thing that strikes me about this is the conflict between or the, or the need to be aware of the abstract and the concrete, you know. Pastor Audie likes to say both and. Mm -hmm. So your faith has an abstract component, okay? But it also has a concrete component. And that's, you know, what can I see you doing? You're right. You're right. And like, we, like we said, there's, there's many things about God that are hidden to us that we're not going to know until the, the end of times. But you're right. Our, accept, our reaction to his grace is very concrete. Just as you mentioned about, okay, the blind man, his reaction of faith was to go wash and then show himself that now he could see. And we're called on the same thing. When, when we experience God's grace, we have a call to act faithfully and to follow what Jesus said, love our neighbors as ourselves and lead that life. But it's not because we're trying to earn salvation. It's because we're thankful for the grace that we've been given. I don't want to get you guys out too early. Out. Okay, yes. I, that is a really interesting way it's portrayed. And I think the only thing we can really do ourselves is to work on 
our public persona in the four through ten. I mean, we have our relationship with God, but I think people are watching us. And I think we have to remember when we're dealing with people we, with whom we disagree or who are different than us, that they need to see that we're not judgmental. We, all we can really do is control ourselves. We can't control them. That's out of our scope. But it isn't that we're going to earn our way to heaven by acting a certain way. It's that we are trying to reflect our God being gracious to us in how we deal with other people. And that's really all we can do. You can't change other people. You can only change yourself. I, I think that's a very, it's a very good point. And that, again, the reason for this connection, if, if I didn't have a connection and I just lived my life because I know God's good to me and I'm not going to do anything down here, well... You know, book of James. Read, read the book of James, right? A faith without, without action is, is dead. Uh, so you can't, just like, you can't just isolate yourself. Like monks, they kind of thought that way, right? Well, we're going to just isolate ourselves in the abbey and we're going to focus on God and ignore the rest of the world. That isn't what Jesus asked us to do. He asked us to live. So for the same reason that just doing this isn't a reflection of just going back and forth on behaving like the four through ten commandments isn't uh, isn't going to get us to heaven. Living alone with our just just our relationship with God. So God wants us to be connected. He wants His grace to flow through us and be reflected to the people that we deal with every day. He says, "You're not of the world, but you're in the world. You're the salt. Right? Don't lose your saltiness. Uh, you're the light. Don't don't put it under a bushel basket." So, uh, you know, I, I think that's God's calling. He intends us to be connected to him in living our daily lives. I thought it was interesting when you said even atheists can do commandments 4 through 10. When, when we look at people being a good person, for example, did so-and-so go to heaven? Well, he was a very good person, <laughs> you know? We've got to figure out ways to when we do commandments 4 through 10, that they point to God, not to ourselves. And isn't that what Jesus was even doing in healing the blind man? He wanted the grace of his Father to be seen by everybody. He wasn't in it for, oh, look, I'm a great miracle worker. He wanted it to, the healing to point to his Father's work. And, and, and you're right, I think that's exactly what God... Because I, I know... I had many discussions with him. A gentleman who happens to be a, a well-renowned physicist grew up as a Catholic in Ireland and kind of rejected it. He's a very nice man. He does a lot of public things. He's got a library named after him. He's, he's a really nice guy, but he's completely lost faith. So, you know, and, and it's, I, I, I pray for him, but, you know, it's, yes, people can behave without having a relationship. The difference for a Christian, and maybe this is the, our, our identifying characteristic, is that what we do down here is because of what we received from God. And we're not ashamed to let the, the world know that. Yeah. I know when, I, visit, when I, I check in with my mother two or three times a week by phone, and I'll say, how are you doing today? And it's always, I am so blessed. <laughs> or God has given, given me a beautiful day. It's always, she always points to her faith yep. in her responses. And I think that's something we need to do in our daily lives, is be, be aware of it, be cautious. People are watching, people are listening. Okay, well, I think we'll, we'll end here. Um, next week, I, I, I promised to give a little teaser into next week. 
that, okay, so, so people have asked, you know, who sinned, you know, why is this man blind and that kind of stuff. And then the, the Pharisees are saying Jesus is a sinner because he worked on the Sabbath, okay, and, and et cetera, et cetera. So next week, when Pastor Adi's back, and you can have all good questions for him, uh, we're going to talk about Jesus' answer, about him. He is the good shepherd, and the sheep know his, know his word. They know his voice. So let's go ahead and close with prayer, and we'll let you out. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the attention of these people, and, and thank you for the hearts that are in, that are in uh, the people that attend this class. We give thanks to all the grace and blessings that you have poured out on us, and we ask you to watch over us this week as we go about our ways and help us every day, especially now during the Lenten season, uh, to remember that what we do is a reflection of your grace and your love for us. Uh, and help us to always remember that when we react, especially as we react to any kind of negative uh, instance or difficulty in our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room. Here at Messiah Lutheran Church, our mission statement is sharing his light. That means sharing the light that is Jesus Christ and telling others about his gospel. If you want to join us in that mission, please share this podcast with someone that may want to come and better know the light of Jesus. Use one of our past episodes as a starting point to start a discussion with someone or use a past series as a personal Bible study or devotional for your family or small group. If we've given any value to you at all, consider leaving this podcast a rating and review on iTunes. That will help us climb the iTunes rankings so we may better spread the reassuring good news of Jesus Christ and continue to share his light with anyone willing to listen. Thank you again so much for listening, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.